Church, it's good to see you guys. Uh, can I just say thank you to all the families who drove in or came over. It's a pleasure to be with you guys this morning. We know there's a lot of ways you could spend your mom's day. And the fact that you said, hey, let's give the morning to be with our son or daughter or granddaughter or grandson's church. That's awesome. That communicates so much to um, your family. And uh, we're blessed and excited to be with you guys. My name is Doug. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, I hope you're doing well. We're in the middle of a series in our church, and we're calling it Core Values. The word core values can sound kind of like professional or corporate, so you can think of core values like family traits. For example, when the photo of Elijah Bachman went up on the screen, we all knew that his parents were Greg and Desiree, right? Like, if you know Greg and Desiree, you're just like, oh, he's a Bachman, right? He just looks like them. Chances are he's going to be good at math and be organized as well. It's just, it's the Bachman family traits. And so that's what we're talking about for our church, both our DNA, kind of who we are and our behavior, what we do. What are the family traits that make us who we are and make us do what we do? Whether that's city groups that meet during the week or baby dedications or service projects or singing songs, what makes us us? That's our family traits. One of the things that I love about our spiritual family here called City Light is that we are made up of so many different stages of life. We have lots of moms who are making sacrifices and giving birth and raising babies. We've got lots of young families, but we also got lots of singles who are spending their time, their energy, and their money to make Jesus famous in Council Bluffs. We've got lots of empty nesters who are spending their love and their wisdom and experience to make Jesus famous in Council Bluffs. We've got some people who are dating, some people who um, are getting married literally in just a couple weeks, and then we have some others who literally just got engaged. Ryan and Paige, we love you guys. They just got engaged last Sunday. We're thrilled. Our spiritual family is supporting as you guys' uh, physical family begins to emerge. So <clears throat> we're excited about that. It reminds me of the time when I got to propose to my wife, Whitney. I will not say how long ago that was. Um, but when we got engaged, we had a couple key things in common, and that was Jesus and good looks. Um, <laughs> She had all the good looks and was just nice enough to go out with me. But beyond that, we were starkly different. She and I, we were part of a college ministry together. And I remember looking across the room and seeing her and thinking, wow, she's passionate about Jesus. She loves Jesus and she's pretty too. Like, And then Jesus led to one thing and one thing led to another. And so now we're married with four going on more children, two dogs, a fish, and lots of curly hair. So things happen. But the thing that I discovered about Whitney and I is that even though we were Christians, we had vastly different spiritual backgrounds. In fact, if I would have walked into one of the churches that Whitney grew up in, I probably would have thought, what are they doing? This is kind of strange. And if she would have walked into one of the churches that I grew up in, she would have thought, what are they doing? This is kind of strange. That's just kind of our vastly different spiritual backgrounds. Have you guys ever had that experience? Some of you are having it right now. They're like, what church are my children going to? This is kind of strange, right? So that, that experience is actually all, it's not that uncommon for Christians. 
Even though Christians are part of a worldwide family of followers of Jesus, we often have really different experiences. We can look really weird to each other. And one way that this happens is between, on this hand, you got folks who are all about the Holy Spirit, right? And then on this hand over here, you got folks who are all about the Bible, the Word of God. And those folks can look really different to one another. So over here, you got the Holy Spirit people, right? They're just hungry. Give us more of the Holy Spirit. They want the Holy Spirit to fall and show up, man. They want more prayer meetings. They want to sing more songs. They want more gifts, more freedom. Give us more Holy Spirit. Then over here on this side, you got people who want more of the Bible. They want to do Bible studies. They want to do classes. They want more teaching, more preaching. Let's just open up and go expository through this passage of Scripture. They're like, give me more truth. Give me more theology. They want more Bible. So you got spirit folks and you've got word folks. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at a scripture passage, Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at a narrative, a story of how the Spirit of God and the Word of God came together in a beautiful, powerful, delightful, fun, crazy, healthy way. It wasn't just one or the other. The Spirit wasn't pitted against the Word, and the Word wasn't pitted against the Spirit. But instead, the Spirit of God and the Word of God tag-teamed. They came together to exalt the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And when I think about our churches up, Last week we looked at down. This week we're looking at up. Our family's response to God and singing and prayer and gathered worship. I hope and pray that it is characterized by what we're going to see in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit of God and the Word of God coming together to exalt the Son of God. Amen, church? Amen. So let's jump into Acts chapter 2. We're just going to start in verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived. So Pentecost was just a Jewish holiday, and it would have been 50 days right after Jesus had died. So when Pentecost arrived, they, all the remaining Jesus believers, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Wow, that's powerful. So here's the first thing to note this morning. The Spirit of God comes. The Spirit of God drops. He shows up. These disciples were just doing their thing, having a prayer meeting, and then suddenly the Holy Spirit showed up. And when the Spirit came, He wasn't quiet. He was loud, like a mighty rushing wind. He was bright, like flames of fire landing on about 120 people. That'd be like flames of fire suddenly coming on all of us. That's going to be bright. That's going to be hot. It was, it was kind of noisy, like different languages all being spoken at the same time, all in one place. This was the fulfillment of what Jesus had promised these disciples just a chapter earlier. Jesus had told them, hey, wait here in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. Jesus had told them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And now, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is showing up. And so we need to just ask, who is this Holy Spirit? Is He God? 
Is he real or is he kind of some sort of mystical force that Luke Skywalker knows how to channel? Is he kind of like Casper the Friendly Ghost? Did Snapchat steal their logo from the Holy Ghost? Like who or what are we dealing with? So very simply, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is God. He's not JV, but he's full on made the varsity team equal in power, authority, worth, and dignity, God. The Bible also teaches that our God is a trinity, okay? It's one God, but three persons. So you got God the Father, God the Son, that's Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And all three of them are fully God, and they make up one God. I know it blows your mind, but it's just what the Bible teaches. It also teaches that each of those persons in our Trinity, God, have special roles that they tend to play out. Like God the Father, He tends to plan things and oversee things. God the Son, Jesus, He he accomplishes, He executes, He gets it done. And then God the Holy Spirit, He enables, He inspires, He animates, He enlivens the work that God is doing. So you can think of the Holy Spirit like this. The Holy Spirit is a living person living inside a living person. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit is a living person living inside a living person. You can't see Him, but He is still a person. And He's living inside every single Christian. All of those who have put their faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside them. This is God in us. And perhaps most shocking to these early disciples is that the Holy Spirit filled all of them. I mean, these early Jewish people, they had heard stories about this Holy Spirit. They had heard about a guy named Samson who did incredible feats of strength when the Holy Spirit came upon him. They had heard about guys like Elijah and other prophets who spoke the Word of God boldly when the Spirit of God came upon them. But in the Old Testament, it was always just like one guy or one person received the Holy Spirit. Now in Acts chapter 2, suddenly all of them, old, young, men, women, everybody received the Holy Spirit. He was living inside each one of them. The Spirit is breaking out. He's going outside their boxes, beyond their expectations, and beyond their control. And when the Holy Spirit shows up, He brings some gifts with Him, right? When He comes to a party, He does a good job of bringing gifts along. This time, He brings the gift of tongues, which is basically just speaking in another language that you didn't grow up learning or you've never learned before. But other times when the Holy Spirit comes, He brings different gifts, like teaching or prophecy or service or administration. When the Holy Spirit shows up, He brings gifts. And when the Holy Spirit shows up, other people tend to take notice, which is exactly what happens in Acts 2. When the Holy Spirit falls, there kind of a crowd begins to gather around them saying, What is happening? This crowd is able to hear the mighty works of God being spoken and proclaimed in their own languages, even though they're from all over the known world at that time, congregating in Jerusalem. They're going, I'm hearing the mighty works of God in my own language, which is shocking because they're looking at a bunch of kind of like country, backwoods, Galileans with thick accents, yet they're eloquently and accurately hearing their own language being spoken. It would have been shocking 
amazing. It would have been amazing. It would have been miraculous. This would be like Eric being able to dunk a basketball. It's miraculous. You know God is showing up when Eric can dunk a basketball. It'd be like me being able to bench press more than 75 pounds. Or my wife falling in love with me because she saw me in a tank top. It's, it's miraculous. When the Holy Spirit shows up, surprising things begin to happen. City Light, can I, with all seriousness, can I just tell you, we need this. And by this, I mean the Holy Spirit of God falling on us suddenly, surprisingly, and beyond our wildest expectations. We need the Holy Spirit to take charge, take over, and take control. We need the Holy Spirit to show up in our meetings, and if He comes with wind and fire and tongues, I'm okay with that. The fire department may not be, but I'm okay with that. We need the Spirit of God to fall on us and fill us up. City Light Church, God has put a call on us to multiply disciples of Jesus throughout our city. We need the Holy Spirit of God for that to ever happen. God has put a call on our church, our little church plant, to multiply more churches in our city and in southwest Iowa, in our region and all over the world. We need the Holy Spirit of God to fall on us and empower us so that we can live out that call. And not just in our church meetings, but we need the Spirit to fall in our daily lives, right? When your coworker asks you what you believe about God, you need the Holy Spirit to show up. Whenever temptation is knocking on your door late at night, you need the Holy Spirit of God to show up and give you power. When tragedy hits, when relationships break, when plans go wrong, we need the Spirit of God to show up. So may our gatherings and our scatterings always be characterized by the person, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen, church? Amen. The first thing that we see is the Spirit of God comes. But then let's keep going. What happens next? Look at verse 14. Acts 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, that's kind of the the remaining disciples of Jesus who didn't betray him. So Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. So the Spirit of God has just fallen in mighty, overwhelming power, and it's a great experience. But what does Peter do? He looks around and he sees this crowd forming and he notices that some of them are really amazed and excited, but others think that these Jewish people must be drunk. So Peter has a decision to make. Do we let this just keep going or should I teach something? Should I explain what is happening? And Peter chooses to say something. He says at the end of verse 14, if you keep going in verse 14, he says, For these people are not, oh no, no, sorry, verse 14. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. So Peter lifts up his voice. He addresses them. He wants something to be known. He says, give ear to my words. So do you see all the connections here? In spite of the wonderful power experience going on with a Holy Spirit dropping, Peter rightly and wisely sees the need for teaching. There had just been a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Now there needs to be an explanation of the Holy Spirit. So first, the Spirit of God comes. Then, church, the Word of God is preached. 
The Spirit of God comes, then the Word of God is preached. Peter knew that things had to be explained. So how does he do it? Keep going to verses 15 and 16. He says, For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Peter's going, oh no, it's 9 a.m. I sure hope they're not drunk, right? (laughs) They're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And then, we're not going to read all of that from Joel, but here's what stands out to me. Catch this. First, Peter quotes the Bible. The Bible. It wasn't a blog post or a catchy phrase or a neat story or something that he heard one time. He quotes the Bible. The recognized authority for Jewish people in that time was what we know as the Old Testament. And so Peter, even in this moment of experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, still knows and trusts the power of the Bible. He brings the whole experience and he brings it into submission to the written word of God, the final authoritative scriptures. Peter quotes the Bible. But then the second thing is that Peter quotes the Bible. He quotes a really long Bible passage from memory. It's five verses, about 100 words, all from memory. So clearly, Peter had like read this passage, he had studied this passage, he had like prayed through this passage, and because of his rich, deep, thoughtful, faithful Bible study, Peter is able to fully experience and explain what the Holy Spirit is doing. Did you guys catch that? Let me say that again, because I think that's going to play out and be key for our church, City Light. Because of his rich, deep, faithful Bible study, Peter is able to fully experience in freedom and yet also explain what the Holy Spirit of God is doing. City Light, may we always be a church driven by the beauties of the Bible. Last Sunday, when Chuck preached Luke 15 and reminded us of our faithful Father, I felt the power of the Holy Spirit as He pointed us to the beauties that we see in the Bible. We desperately need the Bible. We fully, thoroughly need the Bible, God's written, final, authoritative word to us. So church, this is why we plan to just preach through books of the Bible. Right now, every Sunday, we're opening up a passage of Scripture, and we're just saying, this is what it says. It isn't fancy. It's beautiful. It's, it's the Bible. We want to be a church built on and sustained by the Bible. May we always be a people who can stand up in the middle of an amazing Spirit-filled event and quote five verses from a minor prophet to explain what the Holy Spirit is up to. Amen? And may we be a people of the Bible, not just in our gatherings on church on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week. When temptation knocks on your door late at night, may there be scripture passages that come to mind giving you the power to resist sin. When tough times fall on your family, may you have scripture passages coming to mind to help you endure through that time. This is one of the reasons we asked all the parents, hey, what's a Bible verse you want prayed over your child? Because now for that child's whole life, mom and dad get to pray a Bible verse into them. May we be a people of the Bible, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week. So, we've seen the Spirit of God come, and we've seen the Word of God preached, but if you notice, Peter isn't done with his sermon yet. 
He still has something else to say. Look in verse 22. In verse 22, Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. Okay. Do you see what Peter just did? It's it's beautiful. It's brilliant. Just track with this. In our narrative, we have the Spirit of God coming. We have the Word of God being preached. And now Peter takes that and he says, Hey, this is all about Jesus. Right? He explains the miraculous event. He preaches the Word of God. And then he turns a sharp corner and he says, Hey, Israel, this is all about Jesus. Let me make it plain and clear. This is from Jesus and this is for Jesus. And then after that verse, Peter goes on, he tells them, Jesus was proven to them by God through miracles, signs, and wonders. God himself put his stamp of approval on Jesus. Peter tells them that they went and crucified Jesus. This dude is bold, maybe from the Holy Spirit falling earlier. Peter continues by telling them that God raised this Jesus from the dead because death couldn't hold Jesus down. And then Peter quotes another lengthy passage of Scripture from memory. The guy knows his Bible. Then, Peter brings it to a climax in verse 36. Verse 36 says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So there it is. It's all about Jesus. The Spirit falling with wind and fire and tongues. That is from Jesus and it is for Jesus. Peter's saying that Old Testament that I just quoted a couple times with all those verses and chapters, that is from Jesus and it is for Jesus. All those kings of Israel, everything you read, all those prophets, all those stories, it is all from Jesus and it is for Jesus. And I think if Peter were here with us this morning, I think he'd say the same thing to us, City Light. He'd say, City Light, you are all about Jesus. When I called you to plant a church in that city where people said church plants can't make it, that was from Jesus and for Jesus. When you started a couple city groups and they became like family to you and then they multiplied and gave new life to new city groups, that is from Jesus and for Jesus. When I gave you a big building at a ridiculously cheap price, that was from Jesus and for Jesus. Whenever I brought more people sooner and raised more funds faster, from Jesus and for Jesus. When your children come to faith in Christ... When marriages get restored, when couples get engaged, when dumpsters get full and oil gets changed, when love flourishes and people are saved, it is all from Jesus and for Jesus. The story of City Light is no different from what we read in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit of God comes, He shows up, He arrives, then the Word of God is preached, and together they tag team to exalt and magnify the Son of God, Jesus Christ. It is all from Jesus and for Jesus. Can I ask you, what about you? Has your marriage been restored from Jesus and for Jesus? Did your bills get paid this month? Like, thank you, Jesus, right? From Jesus and for Jesus. Have you given your life to Christ and you plan to get baptized? That is from Jesus and for Jesus. You were lonely, but now you have friends. 
You were stingy, but now you're generous. You were hurt, but now you're healed. You were lost, but now you're found. You were addicted, but now you are set free. You were hopeless, but now you're hopeful. You were angry, but now you're kind. All of that, that God has done in you, it is from Jesus and it is for Jesus. City Light. Our church, at the end of the day, we are all about Jesus Christ. Jesus is why we cry out and we beg God, send your Holy Spirit. Come with the wind, the fire, the tongues, the gifts, the whatever. Oh God, Holy Spirit, fall fresh on us for the glory of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is why we run to and hold fast to the written Word of God, the Bible. Why we teach through the Bible. Why we want to come under and lay a solid theological foundation from the Scriptures, all for the glory of Jesus. This is our story, City Light. The Spirit of God and the Word of God come together to magnify and exalt the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen.